Good night, room. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Good night, light and the red balloon. Good night, light and the red balloon. Like, don't trail off like that. <laughs> the red balloon. everyone out there hello it's us hi the fire the cannon podcast i was really just trying to do the opposite of what jackie does which is hi everyone (laughs) (laughs) you're always making fun of my man voice so i have to start off and just (laughs) i would like to make it clear that i'm a woman (laughs) i'm a little female mouse you can tell because i have eyelashes and hips (laughs) it's always the first take when she does that oh that's a good introduction to this rachel because our subject today loves little tiny creatures little mice mice. (laughs) Okay, let's let's get back to business. Yeah, we went off the rails immediately. If you don't mind, I'll tell people the names of the pod the name of the podcast. Go for it. This podcast goes by many names. Many names. The main thing that you'll know it by is the Fire the Canon podcast. This is the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. And sometimes we read other things or partake in other ways, like by watching or listening. <laughs> I feel like you just added a disclaimer to it. I did. So we wouldn't get <laughs> yeah. sued or something. <laughs> the Podcast Association of America. Yeah, right. They are out for blood. They've been looking to take us down since we started. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't yeah. gotten us yet. This episode does not conform to your tagline. <laughs> we know that we're doing something right because we have so many haters. Oh, that's true. From the PCA. PCA. <laughs> What'd you say? Podcast Association? Association of America. Oh, P-A-A, sorry. What would the C stand for? Cast. Podcast <laughs> of America. That's us. That's us. Uh, so I'm sure you've guessed by now, but I'm one of your hosts, Rachel. I am a woman, Jackie. She's also a host. I'm also a host. Of this podcast. And I'm Theo, jumping over the moon. <laughs> He's Aww. our producer. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the producer. And... The proud owner of a 2010 Toyota Corolla, <laughs> as of a few yeah, days ago. An old car. Just <laughs> the oldest car you can imagine, according to my roommate. I mean, I can't believe she said that because it's so much better than no car. I know. My car's only a few. Mine's a 2014, so it's not that much newer than yours. Yeah, I think mine's like a 2013. Yeah. Mm. All right, so is it an old car? Now that I'm talking to you two and you're talking about your cars and their ages. It's not an antique. It's not an antique. Well, I'm suspicious about your use of that word, Jackie, because I didn't say antique. So why do you feel like you need to comfort me about it not being an antique? It only takes 20 years for a car to be technically an antique car. So I feel like if you're not driving a 20-year-old car, that's a new car. No, that's not an, it's not from new to antique. It goes from new to antique. (laughs) No, Theo, I wouldn't say that your car is old. If a car's from the 90s, that's when I would say it's old. Yeah, that old car. That old car feeling that you get when you see a car from the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I was driving a car from the 90s into 2015, so that's an old car. Well, now it is, wow. but you know, at the time it wasn't that old. In 2015, you don't think a car from the <laughs> 90s was that old? Depends on what or part of the 90s. 90s. Yeah, 1890s, yeah. sure. You're right. That would have been not only old, but impossible. <laughs> Is that true? All right, let's look up when the first car was from 1890. I hope Jackie's I think wrong. you're going to have some kind of weird definition of what counts Uh-oh, as a car. Oh, Jackie, you're wrong. They oh, had no. cars in the 1890s. What kind of cars? <laughs> Electrical cars? 1886. Yeah, the first motor cars from 1886. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. You're not sorry. You're delighted. I imagine your grandpa, Opa, driving around in a car from the 1890s. No, he always has a new car. He has a, a very nice new car. What? Every time I see him, he has a new car. What? what? Yeah. Does he lease them or does he buy them? He just, well, he takes good care of them. Theo said, he... does he lease or buy them? You said, no, he takes good care of them. <laughs> I mean, he bought, I believe he buys them. I don't know. I haven't asked him a lot of details, but <laughs> I, like, I don't see him coming to pick me up from the airport and I'm like, do you lease this baby? <laughs> if my grandpa had a new car, every time I saw I don't him, see him that I often. would ask a question. It doesn't matter. My grandpa's wealthy. What can I say? Maybe it'll trickle down one day. That's what you can say. Yeah, thanks a lot, Opa. They always talk about how they sold a Miata that they had for a while to a man who immediately then died in the World Trade Center. So, is that a brag? Like they would go to the 9-11 memorial and look up his name and say, that's the man we sold our Miata to. Oh, there he is. <laughs> but they didn't have anyone else to look for. And I would always be like, I feel like we're stretching. Yeah. I hated going to the... The 9-11 memorial. We went there like multiple times to look for this man's name. (laughs) 
but you hated Osama bin Laden when you when it first happened. Remember <laughs> when you were a kid? That's gonna wait. Rachel doesn't even know that story. Oh, I really? feel like every American kid got basically brainwashed into like like he's the literal devil. I, I mean, like Satan. Like yeah, he he was a bad guy. But I think the fact that every single kid had an opinion on him, and the opinion was like, this is the worst guy, the ever. worst guy alive <laughs> ever. Like probably worse than Hitler. Yeah. I think. No, I remember like going into like restaurants and they would always have like a dartboard that was like an Osama bin Laden face. Or, maybe this is just where I grew up. The subway and bun. Yeah, I never saw one of those. I've seen like at a shooting range having a target. That's him. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that's so weird. Like it's very performative. Well, yeah. you'll hear it on uh, if I ever go on Theo's podcast, Theo's other podcast. I had a a little kind of like a diary entry in which I explained 9-11 from <laughs> the eyes of a child who had just experienced it. And I, I wrote Osama bin Laden and I put like this big like comic book style like star around it as though like, <laughs> like, like here the it is. creature from the Black Lagoon or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like sort of. here he is. Weirdly, I think 9-11 wasn't that big of a deal to me. Just it was always on TV and, and my dad was always talking about it. I think it's because we didn't have cable. Yeah, I had no idea you didn't have cable. You've never mentioned that before. I heard it happened. <laughs> I oh, hate to say it, Jackie, Rachel but not owned. all of our audience listens so to every single episode. Owned. Rachel got. I really hate to say it. I'm cutting all of this. As soon as we said Osama bin Laden, I've been cutting all of this. Don't worry. But why are you cutting um, everything? Because it's about Osama bin Laden. Okay, because Theo has told me that he has tried to avoid references to 9/11 on Inside the Mind of a Child Genius, and I'm like, why? Also, how many opportunities have you had, and why are you trying to avoid it? Like, it happened. Get used to it. Yeah, get used to it. (laughs) So let's move on to something that I'm not cutting. Yeah. Why don't we talk about our actual? Topic. Let's talk about the topic. Let's talk top. We're talking about Goodnight Moon by Margaret Wise Brown. And I'll be honest, I don't, I have nothing. <laughs> I have very little about Goodnight Moon. I have a lot about Margaret Wise Brown and her life because it was interesting. And then a little bit of like background of Goodnight Moon, which I thought was interesting. So I'm going to talk about that. Um, do we have to say what Goodnight Moon is? Do people know? Everybody knows, right? Not everyone knows. Okay. We should just say a little bit. It's a children's it's book. A, yeah, right? a picture book. A picture book. One of the most sold picture books ever. <laughs> Widely beloved. Um, yeah. Comes a little cardboard book, right? It didn't have real pages. Never does. It's always a little cardboard book um, that I've seen. I think mine had pages. Wait, what? doesn't have pages? What do you mean it doesn't she have She means pages? it's one of the board books. It's a board book. I've never seen it in any other form. I thought mine had pages. You're talking, you're saying paper is what it doesn't have. Yeah. Like it's not just a solid block of wood that's like etched <laughs> with drawing. <laughs> Cuneiform. <laughs> probably being an adult, unless you're one of the babies who listens, welcome babies. You probably haven't read this book in a while, but I just remember it as being one of the most fantastically like strange. It's the illustrations for me. So we're going to talk about the author yeah. um, primarily, but the illustrations are just interesting. And I'll tell you where those images came from. The structure of the book is, so first of all, it is written as a poem. Sort of, yeah. It's a pretty sad poem. I mean, it is a poem. Like, it's got little rhyming couplets and so on. But, you know, it's not held to a very strict meter or anything. And also, the story structure is it introduces a house and the occupants and the items in the house. And then the second half of the book is just like saying goodnight to everything that was introduced, mm-hmm. plus a few other yeah. things. And that's the whole book. She had a really interesting life. So I um, listened to the audiobook version of In the Great Green Room, which was written by Amy Gary. And I'm just going to talk to you about it. And you guys can jump in with jokes. You ready? Yeah. That's a lot of pressure to put on us. <laughs> uh, Margaret Wise Brown, she was born in 1910, and she grew up in a very wealthy New York family. Her father was involved Mm. in, like, shipping of some sort. So he was always, like, away at sea in exotic places doing interesting things. Is he a magnate? (sighs) Is he a shipping magnate? I couldn't tell you. What defines a magnate? Uh, They have to wear, like, a double-breasted suit, I think. (laughs) Then sure. Sure. He was a magnate. I don't know. (laughs) You can't say sure to that. You don't know. It's the vibe. It's the vibe. Theo, do you have any (laughs) double-breasted suits? No. Then you're not a magnate. We know he doesn't. I don't want to hear from any (laughs) non-magnates. No piping up. But so they originally lived in Brooklyn, the family. It was um, her and her younger sister and her mother and father, except he was usually away. And she had ancestors from Ireland. Like, that was where her people came over from, Ellis Island or whatever. They ended up having to move to Long Island away from Brooklyn because at one point her and her sister brought home a homeless man for lunch. What? Because Sorry, for him to eat lunch. Yeah, they found, like, this random Irish man. (laughs) They lured him into the house. 
house to <laughs> yeah, feast on his him. body. If you tell me a rich person in the early 1900s brought home a homeless man for lunch, I'm not just going to assume it was for a for them thing. to eat, right? No, it was these two little girls. Yeah. They found this random homeless Irishman, and they thought our mother would love to meet a real life Irish person, so they brought him home. Their mother were like felt too polite to turn him away, so she ended up feeding him this very awkward lunch that they all had. But then, she- did he Bartleby them? Uh, no. <laughs> and oh, that's your, okay. this is your new dad. <laughs> Nothing like that, no. Could you stop being our new dad? I would prefer not to. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. They're like, mom would love to meet a real Irishman. So they brought him home. And then after this, she was like, we're moving out of Brooklyn because these kids are too curious about the world or something. So she moved them <laughs> to Long Island. What? Just tell them not to do that one yeah, thing. Just quit inviting men to our house. I don't know. Maybe it was, <laughs> yeah. they just felt like, oh no, we're getting a little too close to the street people. Whoa. Wow. Don't you think? Okay. That was probably her thought. I mean, look, I don't like the mom. That's all I can say. Your kids interact with a homeless guy one time and her mom's like, we've got to get out of the city. (laughs) Yeah. So they they moved to Long Island, which at the time, you know, in 1915, 1920. Long Island. Long Island. Yeah. Long Island. It was basically just like fields and woods. It's like nothing like it is now where there's zero natural land anywhere. Anyway, so they moved them out to this very nice big house, and um, Margaret had a great time just running around and playing in the woods and playing in the fields. And something interesting about her was that she was a lifelong beagler. She was renowned for her ability to keep up with hounds on foot. To beagle. To beagle. keep up with hounds on foot? What if being a beagler just meant, like, acting like a beagle, and, like, people got together. Yeah. and <laughs> Just beagled. Yeah. This is the beagle club. I think I could keep up with a beagle on foot, but there are a lot of hounds that yeah. have much longer legs. Oh, you could never keep up with my foxhound, for sure. Yeah, so could she? She could keep up with beagles. Or is it only beagles? Yeah, it's a beagle. It was called the Buckram Beagle. Okay, but it says she can keep up with hounds on foot. Okay, but beagles are hounds. I know, but so it's not all hounds. But, it's just one kind of hound. Even, not all hounds cares? are beagles, but all beagles are hounds. <laughs> who even yeah, cares? Who cares? <laughs> That's still impressive. What do you mean? <laughs> no, beagles' legs are like this long. You're, they're not dachshunds. They're very short. My cousins had a bunch of beagles. I know how tall a beagle is. But they run for a long time. Why? So do humans. She would have to like crash through brambles and go through swamps. And So the real challenge was that she's taller than a beagle, not that she could maintain the same speed as a beagle on flat terrain. No, you'd have to like run all through the wilds of Long Island to be the first to get the hair. To beat the beagles? I think they just need to train the beagles better. If you're having to like chase right behind them and then be like, no, no, I, I want that and like grab it out of their mouth or something. You don't have like, to, but that's the, this is the, like the, the sport that people made up for themselves in the 20s and the 30s. To beagling. Just, yeah, they kill time. Like you could chase them on a horse and like it would be much easier. But the, the prize was that you would be able to keep pace with these dogs for miles and miles and then you'd be the first the one. The pride to of a job well done. Hair. Yeah, the pride of a job well done. As long as you say it's a sport. Yeah, I guess you can explain anything away, right? <laughs> oh, it's a sport, you know, even if it doesn't make sense why they're doing it. I mean, it. that's true. Like, it wasn't a practical thing. She was just a beagle. She's a beagler. <laughs> it's in her blood. <laughs> she she yeah. was part beagle. Yeah. Part wealthy New York family, yeah. part beagle. Wow. In this house, she had a very huge library, which was painted green, and it was filled with fairy tales and all sorts of little books for the girls. And at night, she and her sister had a tradition where they would say goodnight to everything in their room. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's foreshadowing. Uh-oh, I'm uh, sensing something. Something dark's about to happen. <laughs> no. Yeah, one day, the things she said goodnight to said goodnight back. <laughs> and she was never heard from again. And then this book mysteriously appeared in her place. Ooh, this is Fire the Cannon Horror Edition. Yeah. No, I mean, like, virtually nothing dark ever happened to her. And that's kind of what I started to get annoyed when I was listening to the audiobook. Because at first, I was like, this is a delightful way to start my day. I'm, like, driving to work. And then the narrator is just saying, like... Margaret was delighted at all of the parties she and her friends went to, and they visited palaces and saw cute little rabbits, and <laughs> everything was wonderful, and they'd stay up late into the night telling jokes. Beagling. After hours of that, I was like, fuck this girl. Like, come on. <laughs> like, you're so annoying. <laughs> like, have a problem. Yeah, give me something to work with. Yeah. Find another homeless man or something. <laughs> yeah, that ended up being an issue for her, though, so yeah. I'll, I'll get to that. But So she did have a very, very privileged upbringing. I think pretty much the only thing in her life that ever was a problem was that her parents were kind of unhappy together and her mom was like depressive and kind of like a nag. Hated homeless people. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe wasn't the greatest mom. 
they were always visiting re- like wealthy relatives and just hanging out and going to ski trips and stuff. Mm. There was one point in the story where they talked about how like skiing in Europe and then they like went on a ski trip in America and it was like so primitive because you had to hike up the mountain yourself. And in Europe, they would like pile furs on top of you to keep you warm on the ski lift. But in America, <laughs> it was awful. That was part of the biography? That was her problem? Yeah. <laughs> she never had a chance. She was too privileged. She was doomed from the start. Affluenza. Affluenza. She was connected to the Carnegie and Rockefeller families. Her ancestors were like powerful politicians, business people. She had several vice presidential candidates in her pedigree. Vi- okay, not even I know. vice presidential. Not even vice presidents. Vice presidential candidates. Candidates. Yes, but they were very proud of that. I wouldn't brag about that. I don't have a single <laughs> vice presidential candidate at all in my family. So her dad always wanted her to, like, grow up to become, like, one of these powerful people. Just, I mean, he was into education for his daughters, but he wanted them to do, like, something with it. Like, he didn't want them to just be academics or whatever. When Margaret was 13, her parents moved to India, and they sent her and her sister to a boarding school in Switzerland. And she was very bad at it because she hated it because she didn't like to sit still ever. I think she probably had ADHD, but, like, that wasn't a thing in the— 20s and not for girls especially. Yeah. So she went back to America, back to high school. And the reason I mentioned the Switzerland thing is because she was always in trouble and like did very poorly in school because apparently she said that she learned how to write in the French style, which was like very avant-garde and didn't have a lot of punctuation. So she was always like in trouble for not using grammar correctly and using bad punctuation. In the French style? Yeah. Is that real? To do something in the French style? Like, I, I, is I like re- the <laughs> idea of just like, if you do it wrong, no, no, no. It's the French that's, style. Yeah. That's how the French do it. <laughs> Cultured people do yeah. it this way. Like, is that is that a good argument? Because her teachers didn't buy it. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. Like, just not using punctuation was what the cool French people did. I don't know. When I think of, like, old American literature, I think of lots of semicolons. Like, dashes. Yeah. I mean, I buy it. I don't know if it's true, but it could be true. Okay. It doesn't sound too off the wall to me. <laughs> And then in 1928, she was nearly expelled because two weeks before graduation, she convinced three other girls to sneak off campus, which was like an expellable infraction. Mm -hmm. She convinced them to walk four miles to a cafe, like in the dark, like in the early, early morning. And when they got there, it was so early that the cafe was still closed. So they just walked four miles back. Someone saw them walking and was like, they're in their school uniforms. Let's expel them. That was stupid of them. Yeah. Why didn't you wear regular clothes? I know. Like they didn't even try to hide it. Something else funny is that so after this, so she went to Holland's College in Virginia, which I hadn't heard of before, but Mm -hmm. her father agreed to pay for college as long as his daughters did something useful. But so she tried to enter the landscape gardening program, but her grades were too low to get into landscape gardening. So instead, she studied English literature and psychology. Oh, no. (laughs) Which is Rachel's major and my major. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel upset about that? No, because Rachel knows she had bad grades. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I just mean like it doesn't affect me whatsoever that a totally different university a hundred years before <laughs> mine had very low standards for English majors. Come on. Rachel. But very high standards for landscape gardening. Specifically they said her science grades were too low, so she was like, All right, I'll study psychology. That is a little offensive to me. I mean, me. that makes me respect landscape gardeners yeah. more. But people already don't think psychology is a real science. Now we're saying it's less of a science than gardening, which I guess it is. Yeah, I think they're right. I don't know. Isn't gardening an art? <laughs> I mean, is gardening botany? Yeah. I don't feel like it's... It involves botany. You have to know, like, if you're doing landscape gardening, you have to know what plants can be on this type of soil with this amount of light, which ones can go with other plants. That's not like the same... That is definitely science. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's just like a lot of facts you would have to... <laughs> yeah, learn. it's like memorizing facts. I don't think you have to, like, do experiments or, like, think scientifically, really, but... I don't know. Yeah. Landscape gardeners, I'm on your side. Jack I'm and on Theo your side. Don't respect you. <laughs> well, unless they disagree with you, Rachel. If they, you think they're gonna say, it's not yeah, a it's just memorizing it's... a bunch of facts. <laughs> you know what? I I have a landscape architect in my phone right now. I'll text her and ask her if she knows anything Go about ahead. landscape gardening. Yeah, ask. Is it a science or an art? Okay. Or neither. Or is it landscape gardening? Science, art, or is it just landscape gardening? Is it just a field unto itself? So she studied psychology and English. She was briefly engaged while she was in college to this nice Southern man from Virginia, but she broke it off because she overheard her fiancé and her father laughing together about how to control her once they were married. Good for her. So she did that, and then she graduated. She was directionless. She moved back to New York, and her father just paid for her an apartment, and she just kind of lived in there and just, like, went to plays and restaurants and, like, bought flowers and didn't really 
really do very much. She wanted to be a writer, but she was unsuccessful at selling anything. This book constantly mentioned her wanting to write something serious, like serious adult literature, like a well-regarded piece of literature for adults. And she couldn't do so because her life was literally so privileged that she had nothing to write about. Did she say that? I think she started to realize it over time. Hmm. They said her stories for adults were basically just diary entries where she would just like talk about stuff that had happened to her and rehash things that had hurt her feelings. Mm -hmm. But like she'd never been through like anything truly mm. difficult to write about. Right. I mean, she did have to hike up a ski mountain all by herself. That's true. Not even by herself Remember? with two <laughs> handsome men. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Why didn't you mention the handsome men? Yeah, but not three. Not three handsome men. I know. That's a hardship. Yeah. <laughs> if only she had had a few more around. Not a harem of handsome men. Mm -hmm. They didn't put any furs yeah. on her. No furs. <laughs> no furs. Wow. So this is kind of just going to get into a little bit more interesting stuff about like her writing and her love affairs, which were many and varied. But she never was able to write anything serious for adults like she wanted to because she said <laughs> every time she sat down and tried to write something serious – like little nonsense rhymes about animals would just pour out of her uncontrollably. Like she said it was so annoying and she couldn't even stop it. So she actually like stopped doing any writing at all for a while because she like couldn't stop like popping out all of these little children's stories. Whoa. What? She's possessed. <laughs> yeah. It was like automatic writing, you know? The muse. Isn't that kind of funny? Just the idea that like you want to sit down and write something serious, but you just cannot stop yourself from just doing animal rhymes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it was like completely uncontrollable <laughs> for her. <laughs> so, but it paid the bills. So she just kept doing it. So she started teaching at this little private college in New York called the Bank Street School. And this was an experimental program that like focused on new ways to teach children. So the idea was that there was a dearth of children's stories, first of all, because you only pretty much had like fairy tales and people weren't really writing specifically for children very much. Mm -hmm. And the proprietor of the school believed that fairy tales were not appropriate for children because of how like dark and violent they are. But also she wanted there to be more of like equitable literature for like little girls and fairy tales tend to always subjugate women. Mm -hmm. Either the woman has violence committed against her or her goal is just to get married or both. Mm -hmm. She wanted, first of all, like more feminist stories, I guess you would call it, but then also more stories that were appropriate for like different children's developmental ages. So she called that the here and now style. Here and now meaning like specific to children's developmental ages. So Margaret was learning about that and like testing out these stories that she was writing on little classrooms of kids and like watching their reactions and seeing how they, you know, thought about it. And so that's the style that Goodnight Moon was written in. Also, her one of her literary heroes was Gertrude Stein, which I haven't read any of her. Have either of you? Um, maybe like a little bit of nonfiction. One of, I guess, Gertrude Stein's big ideas was she thought that repetition would help you like understand stories better. So she used repetition a lot. So Goodnight Moon is kind of written in this like very unusual word pattern style. That's why I was saying it's like kind it wasn't technically written to be a poem, but it's like written to have this unusual kind of pattern to the words that was intended to like appeal to a certain age of children. Mm -hmm. Did it say what age in particular? She believed at around the age of four is when they started to think of themselves as separate from their parents. Whereas before that, like around age two and three, like little kids think of themselves as just basically an extension of their parents. Huh. I, I think Goodnight Moon is probably for kids under the age of four. So Theo, you have a whole podcast about like stories written by children. Like what do you think of this whole mm -hmm. theory that like kids don't <laughs> understand the perspectives of others? Like, Do you have something from a kid that young? Yeah, we haven't had anything from a kid that young yet. Yeah. It was it was very clear that I had no empathy, um, but I don't know. <laughs> because her that. theory is that by around the age of five or so, you should start to have that. So you think you just really blew her theory out of the water. How do you think you would see that in someone's story, that they don't see themselves as being separate from their parents? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good I question. I want to know what the studies are that show that kids see themselves as extensions of their parents. Yeah, I don't know. Like, about what that. questions were they asking? Were they just like showing a picture of the parents? Like, is this you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's me. me too. <laughs> yeah, that. That's also me. This. This is me. And then it's like on their fourth birthday. What? No, that's not. Oh, me. who are you guys? <laughs> yeah. That's not me at all. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if it's quite that literal. Where they? I mean, I'm assuming they realize they're different physical objects, right? Mm -hmm. Aren't you the psychologist? Yeah. Aren't you the child psychologist? I took one child psychology you class. Answer and us instead of us answering you. I don't know. I, I don't really know the studies that well. Oh, come, come on, on, Jackie. Make one up. Yeah. Make one up. I All mean, I know kids... just do it. Yeah, that's basically why you don't have to have good science grades. <laughs> um, let's see. Are there more funny psychologists?
psychology things. Um, Let's do more of the bio. Yeah. It was just getting good. She had finally come up with rhyming about animals. She (laughs) She invented that. Some things that were funny were that like, so in this experimental school and also just throughout her life, she was always trying to come up with like different ways of making books. So not just like writing the little rhymes and songs and stuff, but some of her books would have like they would come with like a little paper doll cut out of the character and you could like dress it as different things as the character went through the story. Mm. One of my favorite ones was um, I think this book was called Pat the Bunny. I saw Pat the Bunny the other week. It was wrapped in real rabbit fur. Whoa. It's it's not real anymore. <laughs> no, it's not real anymore. And it very here's why it's not real. So they had these books called Pat the Bunny and they were wrapped in real rabbit fur, which again is hilarious because you had to kill rabbits to read the story about the rabbits. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was a dollar twenty five back originally to buy one of these rabbit wrapped books and you could like, you know, pet mm-hmm. the rabbit while you're reading it. Oh my um, God. They also sold a mink version for I think $125. You could buy a mink version of Pat the Rabbit. Was it called Pat the Mink? No, it was called Pat the Rabbit. It was Pat the Bunny. Pat the Bunny. Sorry, it was Pat the Bunny, but it was wrapped in mink. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Once once you wrap it in mink, then it's called Pat the Rabbit. <laughs> I think I would picture it as those are the bunny's innards. Picturing the innards. That's what's inside the bunny. If the outside is like, covered in the Like you're saying the story you is the its and numbles. Then you can pet the numbles. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying, I mean, maybe you still pet the fur, but it, doesn't it feel a little bit like you're dissecting that bunny every time you're reading the book? Well, so they had to move to using faux fur very quickly because their warehouse is full of these Pat the Bunny books that moths oh, were gosh. eating the hides of the bunnies. I knew it. I knew it. So there was just like mass destruction. How'd you know that? You guys, I'm so bored. What should I do tomorrow? Um, well, I have two ideas for you. One is on free <laughs> and one costs money. How about the free one? Tell me that. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate Seriously. it. It is so helpful. If you don't have Apple, we understand. You could also subscribe on Spotify. But yeah, for some reason, Apple ratings and reviews are very important. And if you want to spend money on something to do, mm-hmm. you could become one of our patrons on Patreon, patreon.com slash fire the cannon. We would love to have you. When, when I need to get something done that I don't really want to do, like if I have to like vacuum the whole house or if I have to like pull a bunch of weeds or something. You I think, join a Patreon. <laughs> well, it just gives you so much more extra stuff and it's kind of fun because it's like, okay, I've gone through all the normal stuff, but like, oh my gosh, there's like extra little things here. Yeah. So I love doing that. We have some really cool stuff on there and by the time you're hearing this. It's going to be even cooler. Yes, because I will have posted the recipe for the cocktail that I invented called the Green Knight. It's really good. I made it for Steven and he was like, you invented this? He thought it was like a real cocktail. It's very good. And he passes it to his little poison tasting boy and says, taste this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My girlfriend says she invented this. I'm a little worried. No, he has a poison tasting girl. He's a feminist. Okay, you're right. Girls can be anything. So it's very delicious and I'm going to put the whole story behind the cocktail, like how I came up with the ingredients and a a nice photo it's gonna look great. I'm gonna love I've this. sent you guys a photo before, but I'm gonna have to take like a nice one with all the ingredients. Yeah, she sent us a terrible it. one that was awful. But for you guys, yeah. it's gonna be nice. A very mean one. Yeah, a very mean Mr. Grinch cocktail. Yeah, and just make the same cocktail again for our Christmas episodes. <laughs> yeah, we also <laughs> uploaded part one of two of like one conversation that we had, but they ended up like devolving into totally different <laughs> topics. And um, I think they're both good, but the second one I have to say is like one of our funniest episodes. So, so come for that. And um, either way, thank you so much for listening to us today and uh, back to the episode. Holy shit, that was long. Oh, I've got an answer about landscape gardening. Okay. Yes. She says it's both. Oh no, we're all right. So it's an art right. and a science. <laughs> we made everyone happy. <laughs> Especially <laughs> landscape gardeners. Yeah. I'll say thanks. <laughs> Look to the Sam Gamgees of the world. You know I love Shout you. Shout out to Kat. Thanks for answering our question. <laughs> <laughs> She, in the 1930s, met the first great problematic love of her life, Bill Gaston, um, and he was like this philanderer guy who would never settle down. Okay. His first wife had died by suicide, and then he met her. They started dating, and then pretty soon after they started dating, she would go back and forth from um, New York City to, like, the island of Maine where she, like, had her little summer vacation house or whatever. She, like, hoped that he would marry her, and then out of nowhere, he just, like, wrote her and was like, hey, I actually married somebody else, but I'm not that serious about her. Um, What? I really love you and I'd like to keep seeing you. And she was like, nah. (laughs) Did she keep seeing him? Yes. Mm. So she like wouldn't keep seeing him originally. She was like, no, you can't be married to somebody else and then still see me. But eventually like they divorced and then she kind of went back to him. And so they would like date every summer 
And he had sons from his first marriage, so she would be, like, a stepmother to his kids during the summer. Hmm. And then they would not see her, like, for the rest of the year. And then she would come back and, like, just date him. Interesting. So he was having, probably having an affair with Michael Strange. Rachel, do you know who Michael Strange is? I don't know. I know hardly anything. Okay. So Michael Strange becomes the second great love of Margaret's life. Michael Strange, her original name was Blanche Ulrichs, and she was, like, kind of the daughter of Austrian royalty. She was a writer and a women's suffragist, but she had an affair with John Barrymore. Oh. Yeah, who was married at the time, and she wrote a book of erotic poetry about it called Resurrecting Life. And she used the pen name Michael Strange for this. Okay. But her family was so embarrassed by the fact that she'd had this affair and that she'd written a book of erotic poetry about it. She just formally adopted the name Michael Strange and she went by that for the rest of her life. I would never let my family know if I had written a book of erotic poetry. Would you let us know? No. I don't think so. Would you let our listeners I know? might. Okay. If it, I would tell you guys, <laughs> I would wait until several yeah. years after it was published. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say when I published it. I wouldn't give any clues. And I would have published it under a pseudonym. Mm. Yeah. I feel like a pen name would make me feel really free. And maybe I should get one of those. Because I'm not saying I'm going to write a book of erotic poetry. But sometimes you just don't want anybody Jackal to. Jackal Strange. Jackal Strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this book was called Resurrecting Life. Um, And so she went by the name Michael for the rest of her life, Michael Strange. She had this kind of cool, like, androgynous, gender-bending style. She wore a lot of, like, men's clothing and suits, but she would, like, tailor the suits to be, like, kind of androgynous, basically. Tell your poetry story, too. (laughs) Yeah. So I told Rachel this, and I asked her if it was good enough for the pod. She agreed. If it was pod-worthy. Yeah. So a couple weeks ago, I was visiting my grandparents in Philadelphia, and my little sister and I took a day trip to New York City, and I went to my favorite bookstore, which is The Strange. And I decided I was going to treat myself to a few new books of poetry. And I did it with this little scheme in mind where I was like, okay, I'm going to get one by this author that I know really well and that I love. Um, I've mentioned him on a previous Mm -hmm. podcast. This is Reginald Dwayne Betts. So I got Felon. Nice. I got a collected works of... Louise Glick, Mm -hmm. and I know her a little less well. And then the third book, I was like, I'm going to pick out an author that I've never heard of before. And I like barely looked at it. And I was like, yeah, this one looks good enough. So I got that one. So I bring them home to my grandparents' apartment where I was staying. And my grandmother is like a a great reader. And she has read lots and lots and lots of books. I think she and Rachel will get along She's so good at reading. She's so good at reading. Like she learned and she kept it up. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I, I am not joking when I say this. Let's get her on the pod. Okay. (laughs) What's the problem? I don't think it'll be funny. That's okay. It could be uh, an exclusive. Yeah. Patreon exclusive. That's where we put the episodes that aren't funny, guys. Exclusive (laughs) is in we exclude the funny parts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she is very knowledgeable. She studied art history at Columbia, and she knows all about, like, authors and books and stuff. But anyway. Love it. But she was telling me how, like, she's never really gotten poetry, and I was, like, shocked by this because she loves all art pretty much. And I was like, what do you mean you don't get poetry? She was like, I don't know. I just feel like it's too hard to understand. Mm. But so I left just these three books sitting out on the coffee table and went and did something else. Mm -hmm. Later that evening, we were having dinner and she was like, you know, I I started reading one of those books that you left. And I was like, oh, which Mm -hmm. one? And she said, oh, the one by um, uh, the book is called Beginning with O. And I forget the author's last name, but the first name is Olga. So you thought it was about I thought it was about her name, (laughs) Olga. So it's called Beginning with O. And I said, oh, what would you think? And she said, there were a lot of Greek goddesses. And I was like, oh, okay, so maybe I should have, like, some background knowledge of the classics. And she was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we didn't say anything else about it. And I looked at it later that night. It is oh, straight-up erotic lesbian love poetry, the entire thing. The O does not refer to Olga. Lesbian erotica. <laughs> it's lesbian erotica, like, very explicit. I was telling Rachel, we can cut this out, but, like, the word clitoris is on the first page. <laughs> and, like, I didn't even notice it. What? I, didn't re- I don't read the first page of a book when I buy it. I just, like, kind of flick through it, and I'm like, oh, these look like some good lines. I don't want to spoil it for myself. I don't think reading the first page is spoiling it for yourself. That's just starting the book. No, I don't do that with poetry. <laughs> is this the grandma that thinks you're a lesbian? No, she's dead. R.I.P. Oh. <laughs> Uncomfortable episode for Thea. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God, she doesn't – she probably thinks that I bought this on purpose because, duh, like, most people, like, read part of a book before they buy it, right? But, like, that was my yeah. whole idea. I was like, I'm going to buy this thing I've never heard of and just, like, fly by the seat of my pants or whatever. Oh, my so gosh. I, I just love how the only thing she said was there's a lot of Greek goddesses. Like, that was how she explained what this was. <laughs> Did you find out how far into it she got? Like, when do the Greek goddesses show up? They're all over the place. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, if your grandma comes out – 
anytime soon, you'll know that you that poetry book was inspired the it? inspiration. I'm not making a face because of the coming out. I'm making a face because I don't want to think of my grandmother doing anything <laughs> at all. What? She never had any kids. What? She's not related to me, I should say. We're not biologically related. Oh, okay. I was going to say, excuse me. <laughs> Jackie doesn't know where babies come from. <laughs> She's my step-grandmother. Anyway, so this is what Michael Strange did. Michael Strange was 20 years the senior of Margaret Brown. So Margaret was 30 and Michael was 50 when they met. I know how to do math. You don't hey. know how old they were when they met. <laughs> I mean, if you said one age, I could figure Let out the other. Let me start the other way around. <laughs> Margaret was 30. How old was Michael? I don't know. 50. Oh, how did you, how math. She said there was a 20-year age difference. Oh, I thought she was restarting entirely. No, I still have the knowledge. Okay, I guess it's a given. <laughs> One person was 30 and the other person was either 50 or 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so they they started a friendship. Michael Strange was at one point called the most beautiful woman in America. But at Whoa. this time she was, you know, 50 years old. So by she, whom? Um, by a French um, artist. Oh, she's beautiful in the French style. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they got along. Yeah, so she never well. used punctuation. Yeah. She was gorgeous. I feel like French style just means like it's not how other people do it. Some weird thing. Like they're yeah. hairy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, she was an American. Um, but she was in the French style. She was in the French style with respect to her beautifulness. <laughs> so they were they had a friendship, but um after <laughs> several years it became sexual and romantic. So Michael was married at the time, not to John Barrymore anywhere anymore, but to someone else. And <laughs> she had kids and eventually the husband like found proof that she and Margaret were having this lesbian relationship and I thought this mm -hmm. was interesting like it was fine to be like kind of androgynous and gender bending but it was not fine to like actually be have a homosexual relationship the problem wasn't that she was cheating on her husband it was that it was a gay thing oh she cheated on everybody she ever was with like she was never going to be so he was and like he did too I'm sure cheating is fine I draw the line at cheating with a woman well it's just his summer wife right <laughs> no this, this is, is a different, different guy <laughs> summer wife oh gosh I haven't kept up I think <laughs> that would be really <laughs> cute if the summer wife and the year-round wife fell in love behind the husband's Ooh, back. That Ooh. would be a good little story. So her husband discovered evidence of this affair and threatened to have her committed to a psych ward, basically take her children away. Hmm. This was also kind of happened in Confederacy of Dunces because the psych people were very close to coming to get her and she called Margaret and begged her to help her escape and they escaped like down a narrow passageway just as like the loony bin pulled up. Nice. And they moved in together. But very few of their friends actually like knew the true nature of their relationship. They thought they were just like very close friends who lived together. Love it. <laughs> we love love in all of its forms. We do. But their relationship was very, very, very tumultuous. Michael was, like I said, never going to be faithful. And Margaret knew this, but just like constantly tried to make her happy. She always like put Margaret down for writing what she called, quote, silly fairy stories. And a lot of Margaret's friends like kind of distanced themselves from her at this point because they didn't like the way that Michael was treating her. Mm -hmm. That's so hurtful. Don't you think? Margaret is already self-conscious about writing kids stories. But also like she's successful. Like she's making tons of money. She's got tons of friends in the public industry like she's always being like interviewed and photographed and like yeah so it was definitely jealousy wow. if i was friends with margaret i would be like you need to leave her she's mean so but around this time so margaret wrote a book that was originally titled goodnight room and it was inspired, as I said, by her childhood tradition of saying goodnight to all her things. Mm -hmm. This unusual word pattern was based on the writings of Gertrude Stein. Shortly after she wrote this draft, she had a vivid dream. This is what I think is really interesting. Of being in a green walled room with a huge bed with a red coverlet and an enormous moon shining in the window. So if you know pictures from Goodnight Moon, and I'll post them on our Instagram along with pictures of Margaret and Michael and everybody. The colors of Goodnight Moon are like, they're, weird. they're lurid. Yeah. Seriously. That's the best word I can think of. If you look at it, it's almost like a lime green, like it's an unnatural green. It's weird because it's from a dream. When I was growing up, I didn't really like Goodnight Moon because I'm like, there's no story here. But I liked the pictures. I would flip through and just look at the that's pictures. That's what I'm saying. I liked the pictures and I agree that the pictures are lurid though and they're really weird. But that's what I liked about it because it felt, I wouldn't have called it creepy as a child, but it did kind of feel just unusual and strange. A little surreal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that came from a dream. And then you'll love this, Rachel. She redecorated her actual bedroom in real life to match that dream exactly. So her real bedroom. Girl, what? Yes. <laughs> so her real bedroom. And she lived part of the time with Michael in New York. And then she also like, this is the other thing. People were just buying houses all over the freaking place. Except that homeless guy. Except for that homeless guy. Yeah. She like found this little cottage uh, somewhere in Greenwich Village and she just like bought it in cash on the spot because it was like cheap. It didn't have heat or anything like it wasn't a luxurious house. You know, this was like a time period where 
where you could just like buy a house just to use as like your writing house. Yeah. Like across the city because Margaret would like, if she didn't like get all of her writing for the day done between 8 and 10 a.m., she wouldn't be able to write because 10 a.m. is when Michael woke up and the rest of the day then would just be about Michael. Like Michael was just like constantly demanding like blah, blah, Mm. blah. So she bought this little house like in another part of the city and just used it as like her writing studio. And she had a bedroom there and she redecorated it to match that dream. So the walls were green. She had a huge red bedspread. And then in order to make it look less Christmassy, she added the yellow accents. (laughs) And she had her, this illustrator collaborator that she worked with for a lot of her life. And she basically made him famous. And she had him paint, like, make these illustrations exactly according to what her dream looked like. Whoa. The original ending. That kind of makes sense. The perspective is weird. Yeah. Which it could be, it could either be that because it's like a dream situation or because since she asked a friend to do it, he wasn't that good. No, no, no. It was like, she said that this is exactly what it looked like. And he was an amazing illustrator, obviously, because I feel like, how do you get something right that like you've never seen and it just came from someone else's mind? Hmm. So eventually she changed the title to Goodnight Moon which, you know, the story we know and love to kind of center the the importance of that gigantic moon in the in the dream and in the story. Mm. What else about it, Rachel? So there's a couple funny things. I just want to say one thing about the illustrator real quick. In the original jacket photo, he's holding a cigarette and the publishers recently-ish said like, we would like to edit this photo to take the cigarette out because it could send a bad message to kids. So <laughs> I'm imagining like what else they photoshopped in. <laughs> nothing. Nothing? So currently, if you look at it, there's a picture of him just like holding his hand in a weird <laughs> position as though he had a cigarette in his hand. There's just no cigarette. So that was in 2005 and it says his son gave a uh, reluctant permission but the photo of heard with his arms and fingers extended holding nothing quote looks slightly absurd to me so harper collins has said it's probably going to replace the picture with just a different photo of him in the future like a photo where he's not yeah. holding a cigarette as opposed That's to just smarter. photoshopping <laughs> out the cigarette that just seems like such an easily fixable problem like don't you think he probably could have photoshopped out his whole arm or and just he- get a different picture like who cares yeah or maybe just have him do like this like <laughs> richard nixon peace it sign. looks like it's one that goes basically from crotch to head he has one one hand on his waist and the other hand is like crooked in front of him holding a cigarette <laughs> in the French style. So that's the picture. But I mean, you can see like there is another delightful photo of him where he's not holding a cigarette at all. So I don't know. His name is Leonard, right? Is this who we're talking about? Leonard Clement. Oh, Clement, Clement okay. Heard. So this book When it was first published, it was not actually that popular. Well, one of the reasons is because there was a woman, I don't know if they talked about this in the autobiography, but the children's librarian at the New York Public Library Mm -hmm. hated this book. And hated her. She refused to even let her in. She said it was overly sentimental. They had an award (laughs) ceremony and she was like one of the authors being honored, but she like left her ticket at home. And so the librarian was like, well, I'll let you in, but only after everyone else gets here. But the room was like far from being filled up and it just never filled up so they just never let her in and she was like so frustrated that she like cried and then like went outside with her friend and then they just had their own award ceremony on the steps of the new york library oh no First the whole skiing incident and now that. Yeah. So the book was banned from 1947 to 1972, which even after this woman quit being the head librarian, she was still so influential that they would not allow the book to be part of the library. So imagine being an influential librarian. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. So they finally let it in and it's still not a popular book at that library compared to other libraries in the country where it usually ranks at like the most one of the most checked out books. It's. It never made it, or at least recently, it has not made the list. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it became very popular. So it started by only selling six thousand copies in 1947 when it was first published, and in 2017, it had sold over 48 million copies in over a dozen languages. Okay, when are we going to get to the the whole business of like it's really lazy rhyming the whole time? Well. Go ahead. (laughs) I wasn't going to say anything about that. (laughs) Jackie likes it. It's in the French style. (laughs) I mean, I haven't read it recently. What? Let me read it to you real quick. It'll take one second. It's really lazy rhyme. It's just Okay, good night, moon. It's supposed to be very simple words for little kids who know these words. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs and two little kittens and a pair of mittens and a little toy house and a little young mouse and a comb and a brush and a bowl full of mush 
and a quiet old lady who was whispering, hush. Now that's the creepy part. Good night, room. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Good night, light and the red balloon. Good night, bears. Good night, chairs. Good night, kittens. And good night, mittens. Good night, clocks. And good night, socks. Good night, little house. And good night, mouse. Good night, comb. And good night, brush. Good night, nobody. That's creepy. Good night, mush. And good night to the old lady whispering hush. Good night, stars. Good night, air. Good night, noises everywhere. Okay, I was a little more convinced when you just did it. More convinced? You like the cadence better? Yeah, I listened to Susan Sarandon doing it like 10 minutes before we started the recording. Whoa, I did a better job than old Sue? I think you did. What did it sound like when she did it? There was a moon. and I, I don't know. <laughs> That's not even part of the book. <laughs> it doesn't say there was a moon. She just There were long pauses, I guess, because they wanted us to look at the illustrations. Mm-hmm. I was like, gosh. These rhymes are so boring. Mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, now that, you know, we're so familiar with, you know, hip hop, <laughs> these rhymes are a little underdeveloped. A little underdeveloped. Yeah. Like what if, what if like Kendrick Lamar had a featured verse on Goodnight Moon? It would be so <laughs> much better than that one. He would have showed up Margaret, what's yeah. her name, so much. Or I think Goodnight Moon is like a ballad and then you have like the rap verse where like the guest artist comes in and they're like, let's change it up. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be good, Theo. We should write that let's song. Let's change it up. Oh, here's something interesting I just now remembered. So she and Michael, when they would write each other letters, um, well, so they met in 1940, lived together in 1943, and then towards the end of their relationship, they were writing letters back and forth because they weren't like living together. I believe Margaret's nickname was Bunny and Michael was Rabbit. In order to hide the nature of their relationship, they like wrote these letters kind of like in code. Mm -hmm. So they would like express sentiments for each other, but they would like hide it under the guise of talking about their dogs. Like, oh, I miss like cuddling the dog or something like that. Uh Yeah, like the letters would actually make no sense to anyone who was reading it unless you were one of them. Mm -hmm. So they were were hiding it. See, the problem with something like that is like, what if you do really want to talk about your dog? Really, (laughs) I'm talking about my dog this time. That kind of spoils the rest of the letters secrecy maybe if you're actually talking about your dog you have to say your cat or something oh yeah, yeah then it gets it's really confusing like you have to have a key <laughs> to be able to yeah yeah but then if you want to talk about your cat you have to talk about Rabbit. your lesbian lover oh <laughs> <laughs> so michael um developed so she went on like a tour she was doing something called like great books with great music or something and she would like go on these tours and talk about like books in the context of like classical music or something um she started like having exhaustion and like collapsing after her shows and she was diagnosed with leukemia oh gosh and in the last several months of her life she forbade margaret from seeing her because she was saying i need to conserve all of my energy and you stress me out you cause me stress i don't need you around here yeah so and it was actually really sad because towards the end like michael did change her mind and was like calling for margaret and the doctors and nurses wouldn't let margaret into the room to be with her Mm. and they came out and said well she died so you can go be with her now and then she went in and held her hand and realized she wasn't dead yet (gasps) michael was still alive she had gone in and like closed her eyes like she was that close to death Mm -hmm. she held her hand and her hand like squeezed her back and she was like she's not dead yet so she was able to be with her when she died because the doctors were so just heinous if i was (laughs) not dead yet and someone was like she's at peace now and closed my eyes for me i would be so (laughs) mad "Ah!" Excuse me. (laughs) So I bet, you know, part of the reason they probably didn't let her in the room was because like the whole lesbian thing. But they also were just like, we can't stress her out. And it's like, she's literally dying. Yeah. Chill out. Yeah. After Michael died, it said Margaret finally began living for herself. Like this is the the first time in her adult life that she wasn't like just chasing around someone who didn't really love her back. In an abusive relationship. Yeah. Um, She wrote a story called Mr. Dog, the dog who belonged to himself. And this was like inspired by her newfound happiness. Happiness. So shortly after, she met a man who was 15 years her junior. She's just never really dating anybody her own nope. age. He was from the Rockefeller family. So he was James uh, Stiller Rockefeller, but everybody called him Pebble. They became engaged and she was actually truly happy in a relationship for the first time. So she didn't need to go to psychoanalysis anymore to ask why she was always in these relationships that made her unhappy because she was like, you know what? I'm not going to analyze it. I'm happy. Right before their wedding, um, she went to France on a book tour, and she developed appendicitis. Ew. She had surgery in France. And afterwards, she her doctor was like, complete bed rest. You are not allowed to move around. And she knew that if you stay still, like, that's a risk for blood clots. So she called her doctor in America multiple times and had the doctor speak to the French doctor and say, like, you need to be up and walking around. But the doctor was, like, not having it and said, no, you need to <gasps> remain absolutely still. 
So she didn't want to offend the doctor. So she stayed completely still as they were like rousing her to like get her out of the hospital. They were like, okay, how do you feel? And she kicked up her leg and she said, grand, and then collapsed and died because as she kicked up her leg, it had dislodged a blood clot, which cut off blood flow to her brain. So she just died right there. Oh my gosh. She was killed in the French style. (laughs) Yeah. She was 42 years old. She left behind hundreds and hundreds of unpublished works, um, including a book of adult poetry called White Frisias, which um, is kind of sampled throughout the biography that I read. And White Frisias, mm-hmm. sometimes silly, but sometimes actually pretty good. Whoa. That's Margaret Wise Brown. Do you want me to talk about who gets the money from Goodnight Moon? Yeah. I really hope it's us. <laughs> it's us it's our podcast (laughs) um so she left the proceeds of this particular book to her neighbor's son in the little wikipedia article about the book it says here's the exact quote so the guy's name is albert clark he was nine years old at her death clark who squandered the millions of dollars the book earned him said that Brown was his mother, a claim others dismiss. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a little judgy of the Wikipedia to be like, he squandered it. Like, he really didn't spend it well. (laughs) I think, though, like, I read a maybe like a New York Times article about this this child. And I want to say it it kind of messed up his life, like getting all of this money. It's like winning the lottery. Yeah. 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 I don't think it would mess our lives up, though, Albert, if you want to pass that on (laughs) to someone. Yeah, we're not nine years old. Like, we're done cooking. Our brains are good. Yeah, we could handle being that rich. Pass it our (laughs) way, little Albert. Little Alb. Yeah, we've entered the sort of, you've taken us off the burner. We're cooling off now. Yeah. That sort of stage of our lives. (laughs) The cooling off stage? Yeah, we're about to congeal. Help us out. Hurry before yeah. we can jail, Albert. <laughs> anyway, so what's the deal with... Um, sorry, I'm going to start that in a non-Seinfeld way. What's um, the deal? So anyway, do you think you guys will... Write a um, book that says no. beloved and money-making no. is Goodnight Moon? No. Do you think you will partake in the Goodnight Moon style of interior decorating? No matter what you put in the room, you also have to have something else that rhymes with that thing. Mm. So if you get a table, you also have to get a label. A label. <laughs> For the table, I guess. (laughs) It's like she said, there are kittens and then there are mittens. I mean, I have kittens and mittens, so yeah, sure. My house is basically good night moon. There's little old ladies, (laughs) there's nobody... And that's it. That's what's in the house. Jackie pointed out herself when she said little old lady. Is Joshua the nobody? (laughs) I mean, everybody that's not here is the nobody. And I have kittens, I have mittens, I have mush. You do? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I have mush. Got a nice bowl of nighttime mush. Yeah. I have a comb and a brush and I have mice, I'm sure. So, But you have so many kittens. So many mittens. Not everything in the book gets named. Like the table doesn't get good night said to it or the lamp, I think. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. Read it back. Read it back. Oh my gosh. Okay. okay. So you're basically saying that that fun idea I had doesn't hold water. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. There's also, it looks like there's a tiger skin rug and that also doesn't get a good night, yeah. which is kind of bizarre that a little a little rabbit child has a tiger skin rug in this his This is room. her room. It's her lion skin rug and that fireplace was the real fireplace. No, that's a tiger. Okay, well, she must have I mean, turned it has into a stripes. Tiger. Well, it was from a dream, Rachel. It was from a dream. This is fantastical. It's tiger now. It's tiger now. Sometimes they would test these books, and if the kids saw something in the illustrations that they didn't get, they would say, like, I don't get that, like, and then they would change it. Well, so, like, there was one where they showed it, and they said, like, the wheels on those cars look too much like eggs, so they, like, made the wheels rounder. <laughs> so the little kids do have That's influences. smart. Wow. Because you don't want them to be like, look at the egg cars. Yeah, exactly. It's so weird, though, because, I mean, they're just worried about people buying the books, right? So, like, does that prevent you from buying the book? Yes, because back in those days, it was very common that if, if like, a bookstore or a library or something Saw that like, your car's wheels looked like eggs, they would not. Yeah, and then you're canceled. <laughs> they would return unsold copies of books to the publisher. So, like, it was not in the publisher's nice. best interest to, like, produce too many books or to produce books that weren't going to sell well. But I nice. feel like even— it's just so funny to think that they're thinking either, you know, the kid looks through the book at the store and says, "Mm, those wheels look like eggs. We're not getting this book. (laughs) Or is it that like the kid won't recommend it to their friends because the wheels look like eggs? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That makes sense. Kids love cars. If you want a true to life depiction of a car, do not get this book. The wheels look like eggs. One star. (laughs) Well, I mean, like you want your kids to like the books. And I feel like if your kid is just like every time you open it, you're just like, why are there eggs? 
I don't know, they're not going to enjoy it. And then parents aren't going to recommend it to other parents. The eggs are crucial. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. I feel like kids are confused about everything. Why do we care if they're confused about what the wheels look Thea, like? Thea, what if you saw a book with dinosaurs and instead of eggs, they were having live births? They're having live births. Yeah, you'd be like, that's yeah. not what dinosaurs are like. I'm not reading yeah, this. wrong. But I already bought the book. I, I don't You know. didn't buy anything. You're a child. Don't you think you'd tell your dinosaur friends that they shouldn't get it? Um, hey, dinosaur friends, you're going to be really offended by the year depictions. Now you're thinking about I having think, dinosaurs as friends. I can tell. No, yeah, <laughs> his, yeah, his eyes yeah, lit up. You sent, you sent me <laughs> in a different direction. I'm, I'm, yeah. Um, but no, I I think I would tell all my dinosaur friends, guys, you got to check out this book. And like, they all hate read it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Just to laugh at like, it. Like, look, this isn't how your moms give birth. <laughs> no. Well, I'm referring to people who like dinosaurs when I say dinosaur friends. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons I don't remember much from my child psychology class is because... You're just imagining your dinosaur friends. You were never into oh. dinosaurs growing up, and that was a big part of the class. No, it's because all I really remember from it is that we watched, um, like, a video of someone giving birth, and it it was the first time I'd ever, like... a first and only time, I guess, that I've ever acted First like, time she ever learned where babies came <laughs> <Yeah>. from. <laughs> <laughs> I came from that. The only time she ever learned. <laughs> I don't know. We used to watch this this uh, TV show called The Baby Story a lot growing up, which Rachel never saw because she didn't have cable. Oh, it was yeah. on TLC. Thank but, you for um, saving me my breath. Yes. <laughs> if you would just start saying that from now on, I wouldn't have to say it so often. But A Baby Story was just like families and moms like going through the process of giving birth. And I think that is also partially why I don't want to have kids because they always depicted it as like incredibly painful. But yeah, they never showed like the actual baby coming out. Like they would film it from like above and behind her or something. But in the child development class, it was like full on just like you see the whole baby coming out. And I just remember, like, it was so horrifying. I don't remember anything from the entire rest of the semester. That's all that's in my head. Really? Yeah. The thing is, if you give birth, you're not going to see that. Well, unless you have a mirror, (laughs) which... Sometimes people do. Why Why would you do that? People used to do that a lot in the 70s. People are freaks. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would be so horrified. I'd be like, get back in, get back in. Get back in. Get back in. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'd, just, I'd be like, get out faster, <laughs> right? I, I don't take know. Take that mirror away. N- yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> Stop letting me look at it. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I do not like that idea of giving birth, but the baby's got to get from one place to the other somehow. <laughs> just have it grow in a tube. Or a cocoon of some kind. I would love to. This is weird, but I kind of want to experience being pregnant just to see what it feels like, but I don't want a baby. So maybe, Rachel, I'll be your surrogate. Take mine, yeah. Use. I would rather use my egg, though, if that's cool. Yeah. But you want to experience the birthing process. I don't think I want to. Ex- yeah. Theoretically, I do, but actually, I You're don't. You're going to pass it back to me when it's time. Yeah. So you'll gestate the baby, and then I have to give birth to <laughs> yeah, Somehow. Human centipede scenario. Somehow no, it's going to Somehow no. this is how it works. <laughs> Jackie, no. Jackie, you can't talk about human centipede on our Goodnight Moon episode. I thought this one yeah. would be family friendly <laughs> good night human centipede <laughs> do you think someone has made a version of this where it's just all the most horrific things it's like and there was a human centipede and there was so a- it'd be like good night lamp good night bead good night human centipede <laughs> yeah 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 or or it would be even lazier it would be like good night room good night moon good night human centipede jumping over the moon <laughs> <laughs> I want someone to paint that now, like just multiple people, like all jumping over the moon. So just this book exactly the same, but instead of a cow, it's a human centipede. All right, I mean, you could probably just find any way to fit in the human centipede, I guess, just over and over and over. Good night, kittens. Good night, human centipede. <laughs> Good night, old human centipede saying hush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So we have a on the docket is got a business idea. Yeah, and we have action items. We're gonna create a horrifying good night moon. Mm-hmm. Surely it's been done, right? Mm, no, I don't think anyone <laughs> no. is as obsessed with the human centipede as Jackie is. I'm not obsessed with the human centipede. Is that in Bicentennial Man, right? I thought you were gonna say human centipede is in Bicentennial Man, and I was like, nope, don't match those two things up. Bicentennial centipede. Yeah. <laughs> human man. <laughs> My favorite book. <laughs> the human man. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about if we want to fire Goodnight Moon or not or whatever? Are we going to fire it from the children's camp? Theo wants to fire it. I kind of do. Well, okay. No, I think we just need to get our best rappers to update it. Freestyle verse. Mm-hmm. Who do you think would be the best? I don't know who would be the best. I mean, Chance the Rapper is the one who has the most nostalgia for his childhood. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. But Kendrick Lamar would go hard. He goes in every time. Mm-hmm. So then maybe not Kendrick Lamar. 
And of course, Eminem would just talk about decapitating his girlfriend because he always does that. Yeah. yeah. I don't need any of that. Are those our three best rappers? I think Lil Wayne would write a really good Goodnight Moon verse. You know me. I love Lil Wayne. That's true. You do love Lil he Wayne. He would. If he tries. A lot of times, he doesn't even try. <laughs> what about Pusha T? Y'all know Pusha T? Yeah. Ish. He finds a way to turn anything into a play on words about selling cocaine. Mm. So I feel like it would be really interesting to see what he would do with the good night moon premise. You know what? Actually, I bet Lil Nas X would do a good job. He's very yeah. campy. Yeah. I think he would he would get into yeah. it. Yeah. I would love to see a music video of him in that room. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the perfect one, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Lil Nas X. Well, Rachel, like you're kind of friends with Lil Nas, right? So Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're friends now. In case <laughs> in case the audience hasn't heard, he retweeted one of my tweets recently and I went viral. <laughs> I don't understand how that happened because you didn't even tag him in it or anything. Like, how did he see I it? I know. And he saw it within 10 seconds. How? I don't know. Aren't there people who will like, when they love a celebrity, they search their name all the time on Twitter and then... But the, yeah, his name wasn't people, in the tweet. But the celebrity... Yeah. His name wasn't in the tweet. Hmm. The name of the song was in the tweet, but not the... I don't think his name was. Maybe know. he has like a web crawler. No, that just, he, like, he's the one doing it. Maybe he's into the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so Margaret Wise Brown actually did something. Thing. She had a clipping service that she hired and she paid through for her entire professional life where she hired people to read every single newspaper and magazine. And then anytime someone mentioned her, they clipped it and sent it to her. Oh, I don't know. That's obsessive. So Lil Nas must have something like that is what I'm saying. Like for he Twitter clearly has something crawling the web looking for his song mentions. Yeah. He has an assistant who prints out every tweet and cuts it out and sends it to him. He's like, do you want to retweet yeah. this? And he has a different assistant that just yeah. makes strange people viral. <laughs> she just called you strange, Rachel. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to come back and hear our um, rap edition of Goodnight Moon with an extra verse um, by a, a, a guest artist who is yet to be announced. Jackal Strange. What if we get a real rapper on? Anyway, we're going to make this thing and come <laughs> and uh, listen to it on our Patreon feed. That's patreon.com slash firethecanon. Um, you can catch us on Instagram or Twitter at firethecanonpod. Our website is www.firethecanonpod.com and uh, Facebook, we're Fire the Cannon Podcast. So, cool. Are we done? Uh, bye now. No, good night. <gasps> good night, Good night, Nell. Good night, Nell jumping over the moon. Good night, Nell. Good night, Spell. Good night, Spell. Yeah, I was trying to think of a rhyme for Nell. But Bell. Bell. Oh, obviously. Good night, Cell phone. Good night, Nell phone. Good night, Cell phone. Yeah. Nellular. 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 In the French style. <laughs> okay, leave me alone, all right? It was one question. Now who's beating a dead horse? Good night, dead horse, and the Theo who's beating it. Whoa, Whoa. I'm going to edit all of that out. Oh, my God, Jack. No, you're not. Yeah. Yes, I am. So violent. So yeah. vile. Oh, I'm sorry. Should I say it quieter? <laughs> Good night, Theo. It's she's a bear, right? Rabbits. They're rabbits. They're both rabbits. Yeah, that's his grandma, presumably. It's like some rabbit family or something. Yeah, it's a rabbit family. Okay.